Den Talks podcast is powered by denanywhere.com. You guys go to denanywhere.com now, no matter where you live in the world, and you can take our classes virtually and live. Go to denanywhere.com and sign up for just $29.99 a month. You get a limited access to our classes with over 150 a month to choose from. Plus, most of them are archived. So if you can't make the exact time, you can catch them later. We still also have our workshops and our certifications now all accessible to you no matter where you are. Go to denanywhere.com. Welcome to Den Talks Podcast. This is Tom, your host and the founder of Den Meditation. We have Nicole Bradford on today. This conversation is super interesting because we're taking another angle and another approach to wellness, self-help, getting to know yourself, which we do at the Den. She is all about transformative technology. This is a woman who is like top of the line, CEO, could not be higher in her field of you know some major gaming industries and in the tech world. And she left it all because she had this epiphany that technology as brilliant and as amazing as it is, there's ways we could also be using it to bridge this gap of ourselves, of knowing yourself more. She actually talks about how in gaming, she really does see you can create community. There is beauty within it. It's not like she's abandoned the idea of what she used to love, but she does know that through meditation and the art of actually getting to know yourself, which we talk about on this podcast all the time, that until you truly know yourself better and understand yourself, that is when the growth and the evolution begins. So it's a really fascinating conversation conversation of how technology can be part of that, how technology can actually help you in so many different ways go deeper, and as well as just what the future is and what technology and the future and human evolution is. I hope you enjoy this episode. So I'm so excited to talk to you because I think this is so fascinating what you've been doing, you know, really bridging the gap between kind of technology and self-growth. I know it's like meditation, mm. but one of the things you say that I appreciate because I think it's so much what the den is about and what we do is, you know, you talk a lot about how it's not just meditation. It's about getting to know yourself better. Mm. And anyone we joke, anyone who used to always ask us like what the den is about, or even what is meditation, our response, I think pretty much anyone who works at the den is like getting to know yourself better. Mm. And interestingly, I feel like it's what has separated us from other studios or places, not that people don't get to know themselves anywhere. I mean, anyone can do it when you commit to doing it, obviously. But I feel like we were not just a studio that was only about relaxation. Like it wasn't for us about, hey, I mean, some people did it, but we were always challenging. I feel like, I feel like that was our goal of always challenging the clients or the students to dig deeper and really find what works for them um, mm -hmm. and not subscribe to anything so that therefore mm -hmm. they can not only get to know themselves better, but then have some unbelievable growth that will really shift their entire lives. So that's what I actually really like whenever um, I've kind of listened to you talk or whatever you talk about. I find that such an, a thing that you speak about that I'm like, oh my God, that completely resonates with what we do and who we are as well. It's really mm -hmm. interesting, but talk a little bit about how, you know, you went from such a intense, you know, gaming world that you were, you know, kicking ass in and clearly doing well corporately and doing well financially, but then had this major shift of how you can take kind of that skill set, but change what kind of your widget is. 
That's a great question. Thank you. Um, yeah, you know, so I was in video games for 14 years and that included my, my last big position was overseeing operations for Blizzard Entertainment for China. And that meant that I took care of World of Warcraft, Starcraft, a bit of localization on Diablo, basically some of the most loved brands in gaming. And I had been in China for uh, like five and a half years and I rotated to a regional role based out of Hong Kong. And so I suddenly had a month off and I signed up for a meditation retreat with all of the casualness of something that included going to Thailand to get Patty certified and going to Bhutan. Like it was just <laughs> that casual. Right. And um, I went to, I found a place in Japan and did a Vipassana style meditation retreat. It was like two hours outside of Kyoto. Um, and I had a extraordinary experience, like truly extraordinary. Um, and by the end of that retreat, I walked out feeling deeply connected to all things. And that was really the thing that sort of like deeply shocked me. In addition, the other thing that had happened was, you know, I, I now know at the time I didn't really, you know, I had done a little bit of meditation here and there, but I didn't really have a, um, a very experienced Sangha. So it was just friends of mine in, in Shanghai where we would talk about meditation and think about meditation. And, uh, but none of us really had a lot of deep expertise. In fact, it's funny, two of my meditation buddies were two guys who both of them had been tank commanders, oh, wow. oddly enough, and we're now both living in China. <laughs> and so it was just, you know, so we were just like, you know, none of us really knew anything. And so I went on this meditation retreat and I had a dramatic decline in rumination dramatic, like the inner chatter just dropped. And so because of that, the fear drops, because when the inner voice isn't telling you all the things that are going to go wrong, you, you know, are you saying you notice the decline in rumination, like post retreat? Immediately. It was silent inside my head. And, um, and so because of that, I had a surge of fearlessness because the, you know, the thing that scares us often is that voice inside our head that's telling us what's wrong with us, what we didn't do, what's not going to happen, what is going to happen, blah, 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 <laughs> right? So that went away. And so I had the surge of fearlessness. And, you know, and when you're not afraid, it turns out you're happy. And it's sort of, you know, it's that, it's the, the you know, the, the, the theory that you often hear in uh, traditional Buddhism that the natural state of the mind is actually happy in its absolute natural state. Um, and so I experienced that. And so, you know, I had this sense of connection and happiness and fearlessness. And immediately I thought, oh my goodness, like I want everyone to have this. And, you know, I wanted all my loved ones to have it. I wanted, you know, the whole world to have it. You know, that's pretty typical post-retreat anyway. When people have great yep. experiences, they come out like, this is the thing. For everyone. Uh, for everyone. But I truly wanted that. And and 
because I had had, you know, I have a great experience and a great association with technology. Sometimes when people hear my story, um, they think I had, you know, a uh, they think I had an epiphany that games were bad and tech was bad and meditation was good. And I was going to like go do the stuff that was better for us, you know, that kind of thing. And it's like, no, I love games to this day. Like I love games and I believe mm-hmm. that games are the next evolution in human storytelling. And I'm, you know, I'm definitely excited about what the metaverse and the multiverse looks like and how we use the digital realms to complement ourselves and to truly understand who we are as well as, you know, evolve into everything that we truly can be. Um, So that is still consistent, but because I didn't have a negative association with technology and technology is the thing that takes what is scarce and makes it abundant. It was a natural association for me to say, how do we use technology to make this accessible for all? And so this was 2014. So this was pre-calm. It was pre the reduction of stigma around mental health. Um, You know, it was, it was still like meditation in the U.S. was still sort of the domain of mindfulness-based stress reduction was the first secular branches of it. And everything else was something that you either got at your yoga studio or through a, a spiritual community, you know, in a country that is predominantly secular and in a country that this is the United States and in a country that um, the Buddhism is very much a philosophy Uh, on the outside, many people look at it and believe that it is a religion in the traditional monotheistic sense. Mm -hmm. So people who don't, you know, don't dig into Buddhism, um, they see the images and they think it's the equivalent of the cross, um, though it isn't. Um, and so that, that's what was going on in the U.S. And so, you know, the ability to use technology for discovery, for people to, you know, to have discovery and accessibility. And by the way, most of the meditation products out today that are related to technology are really about, are still about access and discovery. Um, you know, there, there's not many that have actually got into improving the quality of your meditation, helping you improve the quality of your meditation, helping you to understand when you're actually in the pocket. Um, you know, the muse does it. Um, and and then there's some other things that are starting to come up based on, um, you know, being able to pick up HRV and other things off the sensors and cameras and respiration and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're still in the very, very first stages you know, of what it is. And so I came back uh, to the U.S. You know, I I was still in in Hong Kong and I I finished up what I was doing there for the company. And then I decided to move to the U.S. and I went to San Francisco because that's where you go for the intersection of consciousness and tech. Um, And I was introduced while I was overseas with my co-founder for transformativetech.org, a man named Dr. Jeffrey Martin, who has done um, probably, he's the only person who's done sort of a a wide global study Mm -hmm. on thousands of people experiencing non-duality. And, you know, the, the, I won't call them the final states, but some of the more advanced is a weird word because it's got people, yeah, yeah, people put a lot of, um, there's a lot of grab on some of these words, uh, but let's just say, you know, yeah, there's grab on higher, there's grab on advanced, you know, that kind of thing. But more more 
further along the line, states like um, enlightenment, awakeness, oneness, transcendence, unity, consciousness. There's like 200 plus words so who that people he, use. So who was he finding that he could have studies with? Mm. The first batch was, um, you know, the way he worked through it was um, initially going to all of the major organizations you might think and asking them, you know, who you got. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then doing qualitative and quantitative assessments on them in some bio, you know, there's some, some um, you know, there's a few uh, neuroscience labs in the world that are also very interested in these people. So they were able to do um, fMRIs and some other things. Um, and so there's a whole sort of like underground community of scientists, uh, at least back then. Now, some of them are starting to come above ground mm -hmm. um, who were, you know, uh, seriously studying um, the mind or, or the brain and biostates of people who were in these states. Um, and so, um, you know, that was sort of like, and, and back pre-2015, you know, none of these people would talk about it publicly, though they would definitely be names you would recognize if you were in neuroscience because, you know, it's not the sort of thing that you can talk about and keep your funding uh, right. that you were interested in. And then there was a pivotal moment uh, when uh, the Dalai Lama was talking to Richie Davidson um, and uh, who was a, <clears throat> you know, who was a, a deep practitioner of Buddhism and, um, you know, and Richie had set up a meeting with the Dalai Lama and uh, a big group of neuroscientists. Um, and then that's when they started to, you know, publicly study these people. And the Dalai Lama sent over a bunch of monks and, you know, and uh, people can find that story online. So, um, you know, so there was this whole thing. So what Jeffrey did um, is to study these people. He found as many as he could. And he had, at the time that we had met, um, had had an entry question, which was, um, to what do you attribute your awakening? Like what, basically what were you doing specifically? Not who did you believe in? What was your belief set? But like, what were you doing? And his, his, you know, the people that he had found uh, were everything from Carmelite nuns to Christian charismatics to, you know, Buddhist and Zen monks to uh, sadhaks and, you know, all over the world. Because I think one of the things that's really refreshing or compelling about this is that it doesn't actually belong to any one group of people and it doesn't belong to any one religion. And I think that's really important. It actually belongs to humanity. And so his research had been the first time someone had done a, you know, cross or a pan-religious, cross-religious study on these people and identified um, similarities in, or clusters. And the interesting thing was that the clusters were not, um, well, let me, let me put it like this. So he identified and published around four major clusters as the first, you know, part of the work when he and I first met. And those four clusters were a transcendent religion. Now there were some religions that pops you into one over the other um, and, you know, more likely, but what was really fascinating to me was that people in the same cluster in two different religions had 
more in common for how they were experiencing life Mm -hmm. than people in the same religion in different clusters. And so that was really, really interesting. That was just like another point that this is a, this is, this is a human, um, this is something that belongs to humanity. Um, And so uh, when, you know, we met, um, I was more interested in the technology part, um, but I was also deeply interested in that side because I was just at the very beginning of my, my journey and finding out what, you know, what works for me. On my way back, actually, to the U.S., I went to Myanmar, and I spent um, 30 days, 33 days, uh, with the Mahasi Sayadaw in the jungle on their wow. winter retreat. And that was really that was such a gift. He was in his nine. He was 93 at the time. Amazing, <clears throat> living legend, like legendary teacher. His mind was like the sharpest, like so sharp. Uh, his uh, and his mental states, you know, like oh, like you could feel his mind. Um, and he was an extraordinary teacher, and it was such a a gift to be able to to um, you know be with him. I've been fortunate in my life. It depends on who you talk to. Some would say it's my karma to have had the opportunity to um, spend time with um, you know three lineage holders. And, um, and to experience that. So, um, and to be connected to three different lineage holders. Um, and, um, yeah, so I came back and Jeffrey and I started the transformative tech lab. We also started a thing called the finders course, uh, which was an attempt to say, and successful, and that's also been published. Um, what, oh, so we sorted the, um, the entry, um, the entry surveys, uh, which was asking like, to what do you attribute your state? So the first part of the research was, you know, finding the clusters within the states. And that's what Jeffrey did before we met. Um, And then what we worked on together was identifying what people said created those, like was the thing that actually, you know, made it happen for them. It was subjective, their own opinion uh, or memory, like what were they doing? And, um, and then put those together into a four month course um, that was a research project. Um, and it was, it was paid because like no one would pay for this research. <laughs> you know, it's like, there's, there's like over 40,000 studies on depression and less than 400 on joy. Like no one was going to pay for fundamental joy, right? So interesting. Yeah, nobody. And so people paid for it themselves. Um, and um, you know, and over the years, I think what, um, Jeffrey published, he's, it's published and you can find it online. And there's a book called the finders that has all of the, the, the research in it, but ultimately, you know, what we created was a course that, um, uh, that reliably, you know, uh, like 70% reliably got people into fundamental well-being, mm-hmm. temporary. Uh, Jeffrey didn't designate them as permanent until it lasted over a year or persistent, excuse me, not permanent, because you can come out of it you know, as well. Yeah. But um, persistent until it was over a year. But something that reliably, you know, uh, could get people into temporary states of fundamental well-being, temporary non-dual states, 
in the course of four months. And part of what it was, it was completely secular, no beliefs, no dogma, no religion. And, and not because I or he had an issue with any of that. Um, you know, uh, he actually grew up in the, in, you know, the, the Christian church in, you know, Kentucky. Um, but um, because, you know, the idea was, how do you have something that's accessible to all? How do you have something that's sort of like a clean instrument where it, where it, it doesn't, you know, violate anyone's beliefs. It can complement people's beliefs. Mm -hmm. And so what you do is you take all the belief off of it. Um, and, you know, we got a lot of, you know, hate mail for doing that. <laughs> same here. People... I mean, the den was about the same thing. So like when we opened same thing, we were always about no dogma, no specific lineage. It's mm -hmm. about, you know, you finding you. So it comes in different packages. So I know we got a lot yeah. of hate mail too, which was hilarious. It's really interesting. You're yeah. like, you, you get the, you open up the email and you're like, um, you're a Buddhist, right? <laughs> I know, I know, exactly. It's, I, I, by the way, I would say that sometimes I'd write back and be like, you're very angry, you know, and it's, and again, it sounds like you too, obviously you studied with some amazing masters. There's nothing about being against any of it at all. It's actually beautiful. It's just, it's, it's, to me, it's opening up the pathway so people can discover it for themselves, whatever it is. So, mm -hmm. because I think if you automatically just go in and start listening to all the dogma, you just, you're bypassing the whole actual self journey that needs to happen. Now, mm. if your journey brings you there, and that is what actually mm. then deepens it. Fantastic. Like there's, I mean, fantastic, you know, it's not, no, you should never do anything of a lineage or a dogma or religion. I mean, some religions are exactly what people need. Um, so, but it's it's the it, we never wanted anyone to feel like they're walking through the door and have to subscribe to a certain belief. It's more like you walk through the door and you're subscribing to having to figure out through yourself what your beliefs are. Yeah, I I agree with that um, because what happens is that you know I think one of the one of our biggest conclusions uh, was that. The reason why there are not more people who are in these advanced states is because of mismatching. Mm. You know, different techniques actually really work for different people. Thousand percent. You know, and so when people come in from the religious side, then they they often they buy into the religious part. And then if the technique doesn't work for them, it's usually it's either their fault you know, or cause they're not trying hard enough because everybody who teaches in that lineage, it works for them. So if right, it's not working right. for you, it's either that you're me. not, you know, you're not doing it right or hard enough or whatever. And so, um, you know, they stay in the, they stay there as opposed to like finding the technique that works for them. Um, and you know, a lot of these things, what, what we also saw is like in the major technique families, most of the religions only have two or three that they mostly use. I mean, the Tibetans, like deep Tibetan has everything, you know, <laughs> just because they're like, they're like such studiers, you know, of, of everything that works. And they were such experimenters, you know? Um, so like deep, deep, hardcore Tibetan has almost everything, but you have to like go deep. It's not like the surface stuff right. to get it, but they also, you know, like there it's a system that's based on getting boys at seven and they don't actually start to get to the hardcore stuff until you're in your early 20s. So it's like for Westerners who are coming to these things, it's like, it's really hard to know if you have psychological and physiological fit to a method 
you know, in advance because the kind of things that, you know, by time you get to the, the, the stuff that would let you know that you've already invested years. And so if you're misfit, then it's a, it's an issue. So, you know, what we wanted to, to do was help with discovery and help with fit, you know, and, and be a point of departure. And, um, you know, everyone who took the course, you had to meditate a minimum of an hour a day, or we were like, you're wasting your time. You're wasting a spot. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, if you, if you don't do a minimum of an hour and, you know, and because what we were doing was so radical, um, you know, um, but however, there were really great teachers, um, who were really supportive. Um, and part of it, uh, and lineage holder teachers, and part of it was because when someone got out of the finders course, they had a stable mind. Mm-hmm. Like they had a, that's what happens when you meditate a minimum of an hour a day for four months, you have a really stable mind. They also had, uh, you know, we used pods. So they were in groups of eight while they were going through the course six to eight. And so they actually saw people, you know, different people lighting up from different things. And so that whole like sense of, you know, uh, my technique is better than yours sort of went away. So they had, they were really open-minded because they had a personal direct experience of witnessing that different things work for different people. Um, So it was kind of like teachers getting our students was kind of like getting a grad student versus kindergartners. So this episode is brought to you by Magic Spoon. If you do not know what Magic Spoon is, you have to find out ASAP and go get yourself some because I don't know about you guys, but I spent my entire childhood eating cereal. In the mornings, it was the first thing I did. After school, I loved grabbing it. I used to sit in front of the TV and just eat my cereal. My friend, we used to love going to her house because she had that cabinet that was like, whoa, and you open up the door and literally every possible cereal that you could possibly want with all the sugar in it, of course, was there versus my parents. Like it was my favorites, but like it was a limited selection. My friend had like every cereal. It was amazing. So anyway, cereal is a huge part of my childhood. Like every once in a while when, you know, I was a little depressed in my 20s, I remember getting a box of cereal and just pouring the milk in just to kind of give some comfort. But then what happens? Like we grow up and we realize, um, it's a little too sugary, probably not great for us. I'm kind of eating way empty calories. It's not giving me anything. Let's grow up and start eating a more well rounded diet. But that's where Magic Spoon comes in. It's amazing. So it's created these incredible like cereals that are going to bring you back to your childhood. They're reminiscent. They are like them. But however, they are healthy. There's zero sugar. There's 11 grams of protein. What? 11 grams of protein? Imagine eating Fruit Loops with 11 grams of protein and only three net grams of carbs in every single serving. So they have four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and blueberry. I love fruity because it reminds me of fruity um, Fruit Loops. I almost said Fruity Pebbles, which I also love, but it reminds me of Fruit Loops. And wasn't your favorite thing like drinking the milk afterwards? So imagine doing that with zero sugars and 11 grams of protein and only three net grams of carbs. It's huge and it tastes amazing. It's crazy. It really is too good to be true. And I know so many of you are on different diets and I promise you it's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, 
low carb and GMO free, everything free. How is this possible? But it is. So I'm telling you, don't walk. You have to run. Go on to magicspoon.com slash Dentox in all caps. That is your code. Do do Dentox at checkout and you will get free shipping as well. So magicspoon.com at Dentox. You can get all these different packs. You can get a variety pack. You can get your favorite flavor. But if you want to sit in front of that TV, especially during COVID times, and like watch a little TV and eat some cereal and feel good and bring yourself back to your childhood, but also be like, oh, I'm actually not doing anything bad for me. This is where you want to go. So magicspoon.com slash Dentox and use the code Dentox for free shipping. We truly thank Magic Spoon for sponsoring this podcast because it just makes us happy. Oh, and that's another thing. It is backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you are not happy and for whatever reason you do not like it, they will refund your money. No question to ask. I think they're pretty confident. So that's pretty awesome. All right. Well, thanks, Magic Spoon. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. You know, most teachers get kindergartners and it's just like, it's the same thing. They're running around there. You know, <laughs> like, you know, they're like, they're like pulling each other's hair. It's just like, it's just like that. No matter how old the person is, the mind is like, a, you know, a room of kindergartners. And so, you know, what they would get with our graduates is they would get open minds that were supple and willing to like learn. They were getting stable minds and they were getting people who already had the discipline of practice. And so, yeah, so our teachers, the teachers that, you know, we had a, had a, um, a discreet relationship with, um, especially if they were lineage holders, or in lineages, they loved our grads, loved them. So what would you do? They would graduate and then you would, depending on where you feel like the fit is, you would send them to different teachers? Yeah, we would talk about different teachers. We would say, oh, you know, this is like this, this is like this, um, you know, after people graduated. Now, Jeffrey has um, has some additional courses about, you know, how do you live in those states? you know, like, and, well, and I mean, there's that a whole is community. And that is an interesting question because, you know, it's one thing to go test, you know, monks or, you know, different people in a religious sex that are all living it every single day and not in the same type of day-to-day as everyone else. And you can see whatever their brains are doing and it's amazing research to know, but then how do you apply it if someone, you know, is working as like, you know, CEO of a gaming company or, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's a harder, it's, it's, I mean, most would say it's a harder challenge when you're not living in a monastery, let's say mm-hmm. to keep that type of brain state um, or achieve it at all times. I agree. It's easy to be a, it, like, it's easier to be a monk in a cave. Yeah. You know, that's easy actually. It's hard to be a monk in real life. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. And, and, you know, and the reality is the real life is where we need it. You mm-hmm. know, uh, I mean, for me, you know, um, you know, where, where, where I'm at and, and what transformative tech is all about is, so I started out, oh, you know, let's use meditation for tech. 
uh, I mean, tech for meditation. And then I sort of moved into, well, not everyone's going to meditate. So what's the, how can technology support the benefits of meditation being Mm self-awareness and the ability to connect with other people? Like that's really what happens when the noise goes down um, and the identity starts to reduce. Um, And, and then, you know, you can't like look at any of that without digging into data on the state of the world mind and understand, you know, what's happening in terms of stress, anxiety, depression, loneliness, connection, engagement, you know, hope, belief, meaning, purpose, you know, and how people are feeling, you know, it's like, it's actually like, even with the pandemic, honestly, like the world is so much better than it used to be like some, by some very measurable measurable things, number of girls in school, number of people with electricity, number of people with clean water. Like the world is better than it's ever, ever been. Um, but people However, don't feel that way. Right. They don't feel that way, you know? Um, and, you know, and it's because we feel adrift, you know? And so that adriftness, I think, is very, I think that's the most dangerous thing you know, for us. And I don't ascribe to like, you know, a unified, um, I don't, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm cautious of like a unified purpose. Um, though I do think first contact with something that isn't, you know, human shape, but friendly would be good for us. Cause then we'd finally be like, Oh, we're all on the same team. Yes. Um, that's actually a very interesting point. Yeah. But I, I don't, you know, I, I think, I think, you know, people really have to come to, what their own purpose and meaning is. Um, But I do think like the core problem is that all of our technology is on exponential curves and all of our problems are on exponential curves, but the process of coming to yourself is linear and analog and, you know, and, you know, still, you know, filled with issues around discovery and fit and support, you know, and a bunch of other things. And so the technology is not, to me to um, replace that. Um, Mm -hmm. It's to equalize the access and the floor so that people have equal access to the things that allow them to heal, then to grow, and then to prosper, um, you know, mentally and psychologically. And then, you know, I have, I actually have a fundamental faith in humanity, partially, you know, (laughs) because... Well, because one, um, you know, of having sort of witnessed, you know, inside myself and and I recognize the, the, you know, the danger in saying that I am the many, but, you know, that the natural state of the human mind is actually happy. And I think the natural state of the human heart is actually loving. Um, And I think that the fear that sits on top of everything is what shifts that and change that. You know, there's those moments where it's like, there's times where I've come out of retreat and, you know, and you see people like being petty and mean and backstabby. And there's like this tenderness around you where you're like, oh, like so tender, you see them. And it's like, oh, they're they're just, I'm getting a little emotional. They're just trying so hard to get what they need. Yeah so hard and it breaks your heart that they're trying so hard. Now that doesn't mean that, you know, you, you let someone mistreat you or anything because they're trying hard to get what they need, but it changes how you look at it. Yeah. The perspective shift is huge. I know my daughter is only five and she came home and was telling me kind of like about a mean girl experience. It didn't really affect her, which was great. Um, 
But I remember saying, because I same thing, I could see it so clearly instead of like, if you say it to my husband, he's like, what? And like so angry. And I just said, because this girl had been out um, of school for COVID for a couple of weeks and then vacation happened. So it'd been three weeks and she is a girl. She kind of flits around this way, which is like, an, you know, an insecurity. You just want to be liked by everyone. And she came back and was just kind of mean, like, especially like to my daughter said something like my daughter asked her a nice question about how was your break? And she was like, I like so-and-so more. I mean, so five years old, I like so-and-so more than you. So I'm not going to talk to you. <laughs> and my, my response really was to my daughter just saying, you know what? She was gone for two weeks. I think it was hard for her to come back. I think she was, you know, a little insecure about all the friends who got to play without her for two weeks. And this is not how we handle things. We just shouldn't talk that way. It wasn't nice, was it? You know, she's like, no, I'm like, but I think that's where it's coming from. It wasn't about actually trying to be mean, you know? And she was like, mm. and then I could have a conversation with her about, hey, when you're feeling that, do you think there's a different way you can express it? Like just my yeah. whole point was like, let's teach you not to repeat that behavior, but also let's try and understand it because there is always a reason. And you're right, especially when you come out of something like retreat, whenever you can tap into that heart center more and you're vibrating at that frequency, you can see that stuff that you normally struggle to see. Normally it's the emotions kind of operate the, you know, the movements or the reactions, but it is amazing when you can tap in there. I always call it like the eagle eye when you can fly like the eagle and just see mm. everything and there's no good, there's no bad. It's just, it just is. It's a whole mm -hmm. different way of living. Yeah. Yeah. It's a whole different way uh, of living. Um, and that is really, you know, so I, I actually have a faith that, um, you know, when we, when people are able to access that, I think the overall, you know, tone, tone of things will be different. good, you know, and, and it's interesting sometimes as you go into these deep, um, you know, as you go into these deep communities, you know, you mentioned earlier, a little bit of bypass, you know, one of the things that you see is there's sort of like, there is a, a, how do I put it? There's a, <laughs> a belief in the, in, you know, because Maya is so strong, because illusion is so strong, there is no need to change anything because it is all good as it is. Right. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I have to tell you, it's like, you know, and, and I actually, I don't have a, uh, I don't have a strong, I no longer really have a strong identity to, um, I mean, sometimes more, sometimes less, but I definitely see this representation of myself as a sleeve. You know, it's just my current form, mm -hmm. but my current form is also female and my current form is also African-American. And I am really happy that, you know, um, a while ago, there were a lot of people who did not look at slavery and say, oh, it's all great as it is. You know, and a lot of the people who say that, I notice that they're not of color, <laughs> you know, like, oh, it's all great as it is, you know, so there's a, there's a certain amount of, um, you know, privilege uh, in, in that. And, but it's really interesting to navigate. Um, one of my favorite, one of the most, the people that I love the most, there's a woman named Anna Marie Brown, who wrote a book called Emerging Strategy. And, you know, it's sort of, it's like, 
you know, I think the, the great, one of the great works of our time is like, how do we do the work in the world mm-hmm. without becoming attached to the identity of doing the work in the world? Because it's like, you know, like I, that is the great work. I love that you brought this up actually, because I think it's so important. How do you, so then to address this, because I do feel like that is a question of the spirituality and you're, you're touching on it now, that idea of like sleeve. I love that, you know, and it, it's a sleeve. This is your, your shirt for this lifetime basically. And the next one will could be completely different. Who knows what it's going to be. So talk about the way of not spiritually bypassing. Like, of course, it's all, talk about do you feel like to go a li- one step deeper into the spirituality of it all? Do you feel like, you know, especially because you brought up being a woman and African-American, which both on their own, and then I'm sure together separately, have mm-hmm. their own weight in this world, weight which they take on, weight of their importance, um, struggles, um, boundaries they're breaking. So talk a little bit about like the idea of this is, I don't know if you believe in like you chose this sleeve for this lifetime. I don't know if you believe it. I don't know what your beliefs are around that. So talk a little bit about that and and that how it goes against the idea of like, it all just is great. However it is, it's all just great. How it goes against like, what do you feel like sometimes the purpose of stepping into those sleeves, especially if those sleeves are ones that might be you know, more persecuted or in a tougher, like you said, if you, if you, I don't know if this was like in a past life or someone else had the sleeve of being African-American during slavery. Did you get my question a little bit? Maybe. Um, <laughs> I'm clearly well, not asking I, it well. I, I'm so I think sorry. A, a couple of things, you know, um, like one of the, the, the big fashionable topics these days is, are we living in a simulation or not? Yeah. Or, do we have free will or not? I think that, um, you know, for me, I, I don't really have a big theory about it. I think that no matter, you know, what my past has been, however you define it, um, you know, the experience of this life is precious okay. and beautiful. So if I go someplace at the end and and this is it, and it's just a, you know, a biological moment and, you know, and there isn't anything before or after, it's precious. If, um, you know, it is one stop on a very long chain, um, you know, it is still precious because it's a new experience as it is. If it's one of many multiverses, you know, and there's a thousand me's doing something else or, you know, an untold number someplace else, each one of those incarnations, you know, is precious. So there's a, there's a preciousness to it. Um, you know, and, and that's kind of how I approach it. Um, I think the, you know, the, and then the curiosity of being alive in this life, um, is very much about, uh, for me, I'm an explorer by nature nature. And I'm like my defining, you know, everything great that has happened to me, um, you know, as people would traditionally define as great was because of my curiosity. And every time I ever got into a bind, it was because of my curiosity. <laughs> so it's like, that's my defining characteristic. And, and it clearly you know, pushes you regardless because the binds are what push you too. So yeah. it's interesting. Yeah. And I think motor. it's all, you know, I do think that they're, you know, they're, you know, I am, you know, sort of now at a place where I do see everything as wonderful, whether it's, you know, it's the full scope of human experience of me in this in this moment. Um, everything, you know, quote unquote bad that has happened is wonderful. And everything quote unquote good that has happened is wonderful. It's all, 
you know, it's all wonderful. Um, and, and I really do think of it that way. Now I have my moments when I definitely don't. And I certainly have, you know, I, I certainly whine as much as the next person when I go <laughs> below the line. So, you know, I'm definitely there. And the more consistent my practice, the more stable my mind and the less consistent my practice, the less stable my mind. So I'm like everybody else in that. But I think for the wider question of, you know, right now, and this was sort of like my response to the people who were very territorial about what Jeffrey and I were doing uh, with meditation is that, you know, if you sort of look ahead, there are, I wouldn't call it a fork in the road because I think the territory between the two paths will be more gray, but there is a, there is a path that's happening right now over the next 15 years that leads humanity as a whole more towards something that looks like Hunger Games or more towards something that looks like Starfleet, you know, and all of that is happening right now. So this is an extraordinary time to exist. And you feel like because we're kind it's of happening like, now. Yeah. You feel like we're in like the fissure, like it's going to go one way or the other. Well, I mean, it, 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 I don't think it'll be completely binary dystopia utopia. I don't think it'll be that but it will be predominantly more like this or predominantly more like that. And I think that the- It's like a you war know, the, over the general thought right now. I'm yeah, saying. and I think that the differentiating point is really going to be, um, you know, where is the floor of mankind's or humanity's access and knowledge and skill with existing in this world? So- self-discovery. Who are we? Who am I? How do I feel? How do I connect? Can I, can I connect with you? Can I hear you? You know, and, 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 you know, moving more people up this way. Um, and, you know, and so that is something that, you know, I am intrigued by doing in this lifetime. That is what I'm, that is how I'm here to play. Um, and I think that the, while it is true, you know, it's like, even if humanity wipes itself out, the earth is actually fine. So there's a lot of people, like a lot of the climate change stuff is like about, um, is about, um, you know, the, you know, saving the planet. Well, it's like, Save as long as we don't crack the magma core, you know, after we're gone, the planet life will happen again. You know, it's already happened with the dinosaurs. So it's really about, humanity and its relationship for to sure the and depending on who you want to get and like you know shamanistic you want to get it is where the climate change makes sense in about humanity is it is about that energetic relationship so while mm. we don't take care of her she will stop taking care of us so even though she will survive and like you said, there'll be another, you know, it'll live again in a different way. It might not look like us or something else. That's where the humanity and climate change are totally linked, I think, which is, yeah, it's, um, it's the energetics. It's kind of like what you said. There's like a school of thought that we're like warring over and which school of thought will be the primary thought base. Mm. It's the same thing. It's like, it's that school of thought. If we can't change our school of thought to one of understanding the symbiotic relationship or the shared frequency um, or like you said kind of changing your mind in that sense your brain space yeah we're going to cause like so much damage to her she will stop feeding us in the way that she yeah. feeds us all the time that people don't realize 
Yeah. And and I'm not an advocate of the, of the theory that, you know, no matter what, it's fine. Right. Um, I do think, you know, I do think, you know, ultimately it is all, um, you know, you know, um, it is all wonderful as it arises, but that doesn't mean that I am uninterested in this lifetime of making right. my contribution to, you know, like the side of the boat, leaning towards the side of the boat um, that would, you know, enable humanity to have a future where, you know, um, you know, that is more to have a future that is more um, abundant and inclusive you know, and, um, you know, where humans, you know, get, um, to really, you know, fulfill their deepest desires and highest potentials. And, and I don't know what, what happens in that. Um, but that's the, you know, one of the things that, that, that orients me is a thing called, that I call the golden thread. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I sort of like, you know, they say that it's like looking back, life it looks like a straight line, right? Um, yeah. But there's like a and going forward, you know, I have no idea. But it's like I have a, I have a thing I call the golden thread, and if I were to situate it in my body, I would say it's between my hips, and it feels like a line that I'm following. Mm. You know, and, and I I call it the golden thread because it feels like like I'm being pulled. Hmm. in between my hips forward. And, and I think, you know, I'm involved in a lot of different things, but I think they're all unifying and I don't know how, I don't know when I have to do a lot of, you know, I have to meditate a lot at times. Um, you know, I, I want to tell you a quick story cause it was just amazing. I was in Palm Springs a little while ago and, and I was, you know, hiking up this mountain and this guy raced past me and it looked like he was in his like his body was young but you could tell from his hair and his face that he was in his 60s maybe early 70s but he was fantastic shape and absolutely better shape than I am <laughs> so he so he races up the hill uh, up the mountain gets to the top turns around is coming back down I haven't even made it to the top of the mountain uh-huh, on his way up I go I go wow you're amazing and on his way down, I go, wow, you're amazing. And I'm turning around watching because he's going so fast. And he stops about 10 feet past me. And he turns around and he says, I'm blind. And I go, what? He goes, yeah, I'm blind. I, I can see, you know, gray. I can see like gray, but I can't actually see you. I can't see anything. And I was like, really? And he said, yeah. And he had those walking sticks, you know, that you see people on mountains yeah. with. And he said, the trick of it is you put the stick down and if you don't feel anything, you don't move. And if you feel it, you move. And I was like, that is the metaphor for life. You know, it's like when we don't know where we're going, when we don't know how it's all going to tie in, you know, the key is just putting your stick down making an action and feeling. And that's why, you know, meditation and all of this other stuff is so, you know, SEL and a bunch of other stuff is so important because if you can't feel it and really feel it, I don't mean like feel it, like, do you feel it? Yeah. I don't mean that. I mean like that deep <laughs> feeling, Yeah, you know, uh, if you don't have that deep feeling, if you don't have access to, 
you know, what you're truly feeling, um, then you don't have the ability to navigate without clarity. Yeah, it, it's so true. And that's, I think, one of the benefits of either meditation or just learning self-awareness and just learning your body, because it's a huge part of growth that, you know, people always ask me about change. I'm sure you get it too, since you've had a major change in your life. Um, I feel like I get a lot of those questions, like, how did you do it? How do you know? You know, just because, and, and most of it is based in fear, is the lack of being able to move forward. Um, and I, it's, I kind of describe, I love that. I love the sticks. That's so great because I would say the same thing. I'm like, you kind of have to play. It's like, you get these ideas and you have to play with it. Like you have to put your stick down and you see, as you put your stick down, where does it feel right? And, and you don't know that until you play. I'm like, you gotta, you can't just have an idea and then be like, well, I had an idea, nothing happened. Like that to me is what you were talking about earlier, a little bit of, you know, self-actualization and, you know, will, do you have any self-will? Is there any, what is predestined? What isn't all that stuff? And I feel like it's such an interesting mix of all of it, but I feel like that's the part that you do have control because you can sit somewhere or you can actually make stuff happen, but it's the combination of the feeling and happening is when you know you're actually on with the thread, like being pulled yeah. in the right place versus just creating something to create something, which we can also do. Um, mm -hmm. So it's, it's like, how do you do that golden thread? Like you're saying, it's like, yeah, keep, you know, fiddling with that stick, put it down, play, but you've got to try, you've got to also have that part of it incorporated. The feeling part, I think is so important. Yeah. Yeah. You're great. Cool. I really appreciate this. I have so many more questions. We'll have to get you back on because such an interesting conversation where technology comes into play with the evolution of uh, humans and the human mind. So it is just a fascinating area and what you're doing is great. And so thank you for that. And thank you for this conversation. Thank you, Tal. Okay, great. So everybody, no matter where you're at, as long as you're someplace safe, um, we want you to look at yourself in either a mirror or the camera on your phone or the camera on your, on your computer. So you're looking at yourself and look into your own eyes and breathe and then repeat after me. I am so very sorry for being so hard on you. I know that you are doing your very best. And I love you so much. Ted Talks podcast would not exist without these incredible people, Nicole Rappi, Reem Edon, Hayden Fungheiser, Kim Bielik, and music by Alex Fetter. Thanks for joining us. If you haven't subscribed, please do. And also wherever you listen, please go and leave us a review. It's so greatly appreciated. It really does help us out. If you want to keep talking about all this stuff, please join our community on our secret Facebook page. Go to Facebook, search Den Talks podcast, and join us there. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, 
we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.